And I think the consumer in the marketplace now is very used to, they want to be able to choose how they do business with companies. Welcome to Leaders in Lending. I'm your host, Jeff Keltner. This week's episode features my conversation with FirstMark Credit Union CEO, Nathaniel Tarwasakono. This was a really interesting conversation, hit on a lot of themes we've had throughout this podcast. Nathaniel uses this great phrase I love, finding the right balance between bricks and clicks and really how you deliver on not only an exceptional digital experience, really up-leveling your staff to provide value-added conversations and advice in the branch. They're actually going through the process of having their branch employees certified financial planners. I thought that was a fascinating element. And we talked a little bit about shifts in consumer lending, particularly the shift towards embedded finance with financing at points of sale and various different kind of outlets, how that will shift the landscape. And also kind of Nathaniel's decision, particularly as a credit union, to focus and specialize on the things they can do exceptionally well. Because when you try to do everything, sometimes you're kind of, I think you use the phrase, peanut buttering over and not delivering exceptional experiences and that winners really have to deliver exceptional experiences. So a lot of nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate this conversation and I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Leaders in Lending from Upstart, a podcast dedicated to helping consumer lenders grow their programs and improve their product offerings. Each week, here decision makers in the finance industry offer insights into the future of the lending industry, best practices around digital transformation, and more. Let's get into the show. Nathaniel, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for inviting me to join you all today. Absolutely. I'm excited to, to have the conversation. I think one of the most common themes in my guests is kind of this digital transformation. And, you know, when we were talking in advance, you use the phrase balance of bricks and clicks. And so I really wanted to dive into how you see digital transformation playing out uh, in the context of your institution. I think it's a really interesting concept. How do you balance the the non-digital with the digital? Yeah, so that, that's an excellent question, Jeff. And, and I think the consumer in the marketplace now is very used to, they want to be able to choose how they do business with, with companies. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think what, I, what we've seen is most consumers start digital. Uh, they are in the app store downloading an app, they're on the website. And then just like with, with Amazon, you download the app, you set up an account. I saw the same thing with, a, with a, I opened a Robinhood account recently, just for the fun of it. You gotta try. To see how it would go. Try. Yes, and, and, and I just couldn't believe how easy it was to set up an account. So I think what, I, what I'm seeing is a lot of consumers like to start doing business digital. Mm-hmm. But where you, in terms of the balance of bricks and clicks is, I think there's a point where consumers run into some trouble or the online version, they want some extra consulting, consultation, or just uh, they have some extra questions that can't be answered online. And at that point, they want to be able to call someone uh, or they may want to walk into uh, a physical location as well. So I think all businesses uh, are trying to figure out what is that balance. There are businesses that are going 100% online, full digital. And and I think there are businesses, but I think most businesses that have stores also have an e-commerce segment of their business. How do you think about 
what the things people want to do in branch and how you set up either the call center or the branch to, to serve those needs. Cause it feels like it's not just the balance between how much of each do I have, like how many branches to customers, but like what are the activities that I'm expecting people to do in a digital self-directed way versus a time that they want to interact and have a discussion with people, which is maybe different than it was before digital was so widely adopted. What we're going to do in that branch on that call center, it feels like it's changing. And I'm curious if you have a perspective of where it's headed. Yes. And, uh, another excellent question. So I think a lot of the transactions that happen uh, online are truly transactional in nature. And what happens on the phone or in a branch is more uh, relational in in uh, nature. So when people call in or they talk to someone in our branch, they, they truly want advice. So for example, when people used to come into a credit union branch, uh, they would come in, cash a check, withdraw cash, very transactional in nature. Now you can do all of that online. And most of the time when people come in now, they, they truly want some advice. So an example I'll, I'll share with you is all our branch employees are being trained to become financial, certified financial coaches because we believe sure. when people come in, they truly want advice, not I, I did I balance. So our, our employees, they need to be, they need, their skill set needs to move from cashing checks, balancing their drawers to truly being able to coach a member on how to create a budget, how to start saving for retirement, uh, those type of things. So transactional, online, relational, in person. I love that. And I, I love that you're having them all certified financial coaches. That's, uh, I think that's such an interesting path to actually have the, the, the branch employees up leveling their capabilities. And it probably switches what you think of as the priority for digital. I remember the, the gold rush around AI and like all your advice and conversation was going to go digital. And it feels like you're saying it's more the transaction that goes digital. And that advice actually is the thing we want to we want to bring back and make sure we're delivering on in the in-person, the human touch experiences. Absolutely. You nailed it, Jeff. Uh, everything, I, I think... Uh, anything that is can be easily done, uh, they want to be able to do that with a few clicks. And but more complicated decisions uh, that are more impactful to their life, I think most consumers want to sit down and talk to someone. And how have your employees reacted to that, you know, being requested to get certified as financial coaches? Like, what is, how do the branch employees feel about that shift in kind of what they're doing and the expectations and responsibilities that are being placed on them? Yeah, so there's that's a good question, and it, it's been difficult because the there are there was a segment of our employees that they just wanted to do the transactional part, and so I think as we started moving down this path, some of those employees left the organization. The employees that were excited about this, you know, they're this this is career growth for them. They get to learn how to be a financial coach, something that they thought they would have to go to school for. But you know, this is different than financial advising, but this is more financial coaching, so basic, basic type of uh, financial advice. But we're starting with branch managers first, so we want to uh, certify all our branch managers and probably supervisors by the end of next year. Then we'll slowly start uh, training the rest of our staff as well. Now, w one of the things we're doing is once they become a certified financial coach, they get a, a pretty good bump in pay. So that's a that's been a nice incentive for them. As well. Exactly. Yeah, my, my experience talking to others in this space is that a lot of employees enjoy this because they're moving away from administrative, more kind of rote work into more thought provoking and, and higher value add customers are 
you know, it's a, it's a higher level of kind of service that you're providing and customers like it. So I, I tend to see that most employees go, Hey, this is like, I feel like I'm doing more customers are appreciative more for what I'm providing and it's a nice opportunity for them. So that's a, it's really cool. I need to figure out what a certified financial coach. I need one of those too. I'm <laughs> yeah, we, we partner with a company called TCG, mm. uh, here in Austin and uh, they're a financial advising company and they created a program just to certify our employees. So we're really excited mm. about that. And uh, yeah, very cool. I want to switch gears a little bit to kind of the consumer lending space. And I think there were two topics in lending that I wanted to discuss. One was kind of the mechanisms by which we determine to whom to lend and how much and what kind of products and your thoughts on if there are shifts or challenges in the way we've traditionally approached the assessment of, you know, who should qualify, who shouldn't qualify uh, for different kinds of loans. Yeah, so consumer lending is, man, it has changed significantly, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, it used to be traditionally, you just look at a credit score, you're looking at collateral. If there's not collateral, then you're uh, increasing your rate. So that's a very traditional way of consumer lending. And many times what's going on in the marketplace is people that should get approved for loans probably aren't getting approved. Uh, and then right. people that we think are that should get approved that aren't getting approved should get approved. So I think I said that correctly. So well, it's both sides, right? There's people that are denied, exactly. that are good borrowers, yeah. but then there's obviously people that are, you know, all losses are people we probably shouldn't have lent to, and that's both bad for the institution, but also I always say it's bad for that person. Like it's, it's if I give you a loan, you yeah. can't repay. I haven't helped you. I've I've hurt you as well as obviously, you know, losing money for the institution. Yeah, exactly. In fact, Jeff, in two in during the two thousand eight through 10 financial crisis, the highest bucket of loan of losses in lending were in A and A plus. So that's a good example where, uh, you know, someone with an A plus credit score, it, they may have a good credit score, but it doesn't mean that uh, they're financially savvy with their money. Uh, and then someone that has a uh, that has a poor credit score maybe is more financially savvy, but ran into a couple struggles in life, hit some bumps in the road. But they're yeah. they're someone that would pay back. So I think the credit score I think is a is a very outdated way of uh, approving consumers, and I and I think it is moving more towards artificial intelligence and getting all the information you need, really understanding the story. And you know, even in credit scores, there's someone that has a poor credit score, but is improving. There could be someone with a good credit score, but they're on the decline. And unless you understand the story and being able to pull all those factors in, and traditionally it's been Jeff sitting in a branch, talking to a consumer, talking to a family, and trying to figure all this out. With all the information that's out there on the internet, I think you can almost do that digitally, take all that information, use artificial intelligence. You may still need to have an interview, but I think there's so much available information now that you can take that and find the story. It's a fascinating statement about you know the data and the ability to process it. And but how do you as a credit union think about how you actually execute on that? Because that's a I mean, AI, we're in that space and it's like it's a hard space. Is is that an area where you look kind of like credit scores? I mean, they're fascinating. Um, but I, I, at some level, I go, you really outsource credit decisioning to whoever's making the score at some point when you're using a credit score that you don't, you know, that's not really internal to the institution. How do you think about how you develop decisioning capabilities, whether it's the technical side or the human side as an institution that's probably not going to be on the cutting edge of artificial intelligence research and capabilities? I, I'm fascinated by how you think about actually building up the capacity to do that. 
Yeah. So Jeff, I think there is a difference in how large banks like Chase, Bank of America go about doing this versus community banks and credit unions like us. So we're $1.2 billion credit union in San Antonio. We probably, it would be very difficult for us to develop the capacity internally to hire all the employees needed to figure this out and then to build a system. So for us, a lot of what I think community organizations like us need to do is go out to the marketplace and figure out who to partner with because there are outstanding organizations and, and we've decided to partner with Upstart. But there's a lot of organizations out there that are trying to figure this out. And I think it's just, you know, sitting down, doing the, the homework, the research, finding out who's best out there, who's figure, who is who's moving down this path and, and partnering with them and, and seeing if you can figure this out together. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably right for most institutions. And I'll tell you, I'll tell this to Chase and City and B of A, but I, I'm still somewhat skeptical that even they are going to be best in class at building some of these things in-house because um, it's just, I think it's a different skill set and environment. I did want to, you know, your, your topic about partnering and, and finding the best provider wanted me to, to bring up another con conversation, which is kind of this idea of how, how many of those partnerships do you want and really kind of how broad of a product portfolio do you feel like it's important for you to deliver on for consumers today? And, and is that, has that shifted in terms of, you know, I think we used to think of like the bank was, my credit union was everything. I was going to get every product from one place and, and one, you know, one branch as the kind of precursor to the app, if you will. Is that still the model or do you think that that's shifting as you move into these partnerships? Are you looking at kind of fewer and more focused or are you looking at kind of holistic across the board? How do you think about that kind of breadth of product offering and, and how it plays into your partnerships and what you deliver to consumers? Yeah. So, so Jeff, I think that, you know, if you, if you rewind back 10 years, 15 years ago, I think every organization wanted to offer everything to mm -hmm. every consumer and in the banking industry, it's, you know, we want to offer consumer lending. We want to offer mortgage, business, insurance, and with all the fintechs that have come in, it, it's, I think it's become more specialized. You have companies like Lemonade, for example, that focus just on insurance and they're outstanding at it. And I, I think I just look in the, in the, in the marketplace and, and I'll just, I think Jeff and I, you and I were talking about this earlier. It used to be that 20 years ago, I went and ate at McDonald's for everything. Uh, whether I wanted a chicken sandwich, whether I wanted coffee, uh, whether I wanted a hamburger, I, I went to McDonald's for everything. Now, if I want a chicken sandwich, I go to Chick-fil-A. If I want uh, coffee, I go to Starbucks. I may go to McDonald's if I'm craving a Big Mac, but it would be just for the Big Mac. But there's, there's now, there's, there's even, there's so many burger places like In-N-Out Burger. So I, I think I use that because I'm seeing this pattern in the marketplace that there are companies coming out and saying, we're going to be the best in the world at this one thing. And so I think as those things start happening, it gets very difficult, in my opinion, to have an organization that serves all these products and services really well, because the consumer expects excellence, right? If you go to Chick-fil-A, you expect the best chicken sandwich in the world. So if you, the more products you sell, unless you have infinite resources, which most organizations don't, you become average at a lot of different things and the consumer isn't going to be okay with it. So you have to pick and choose where you think you can excel, uh, what consumer you're going after, what are two, three products you really want to, you feel like you can win in the market and you have to go win there. Yeah, it's a great example. And I, 
you compare McDonald's to In-N-Out. In-N-Out doesn't sell a chicken sandwich. You want a chicken sandwich, you go to In-N-Out. I like a chicken sandwich. I go, <laughs> can I have to go somewhere else, big guy? We, we, we do burgers. We do them really well. You can have the meatless burger, which I don't quite understand. But yes. the, it's, you know, it's, it's just one thing, and they do it well. I'm curious. There is an approach to, to having a broader breadth of products that are first in class for an organization like yours that's partner with a fintech or a technology player that's, you know, as opposed to having one partnership that does 30 things, maybe I get five or six and they're each best in class. Do you think that you're moving towards a world where you have a relatively wide breadth, but you're kind of partnering to get the best in class experiences for each? Or do you think the capacity of the organization is, hey, we're going to pick a couple and whether we're building in-house or we're delivering through partnerships, we're going to focus on the, the couple things we think we can really do top notch. Yeah, I think it's the latter, Jeff. It's, it's picking out a few things, and and I think that's the that's the balance, right? That that is, it's more yeah. art than science. And because if you spread out, if you try to do too much, you spread your resources too thin. If you do too little, you may not be able to serving you may you may not be serving the needs of the marketplace. So I think it's really understanding the needs of the marketplace, and I think you probably need to win in a few areas. You start with one area that you're you're better or different than most organizations, uh, and then you have a few complementary products and services to that. Mm-hmm. I also think there's a lot of there's there's certain table stakes in every business. So like in banking, you know, people expect to move money easily. They expect that you probably have credit card, uh, personal loan, consumer loan, mortgage. They they expect that you probably have those few services. Mm-hmm. Business lending, maybe they may be okay if you don't offer that. Uh, but I think there's there's some art to having the right balance of that, I, I think. No, I, I agree 100%. We see the same thing in technology companies, which is a lot of startups feel the need to be too many things too quickly, and they end up being meh at each, and, and they can't win that way. And um, the, the, usually the winners are focus on a singular area to a degree where you go, how are you this old of a company and this big? And you only do like this one little thing. And there's this kind of real art to, to me being able to focus on what it is you can really be best in the world at and, and deliver on and not getting distracted by all the nearby stuff we could do. But like, can you do it well enough to be better than the person who's only focused on that thing? Uh, that's the challenge, I think. Yeah. And, and you have to have a few areas that you want to win, because what if one area doesn't work the way you expect? So, you know, one of the one, one of the factors that led us to Upstart is Upstart uh, does AI for personal loans. Uh, but I also, we also knew that it was on the roadmap to go to to uh, vehicle loans and then possibly mortgages. I think I heard your CEO talk on a podcast. <laughs> and so when I talked to our team, I was like, OK, they have a path, because I think when you think about artificial intelligence and lending, we need it in personal loans, auto loans and mortgage. And so I think, you know, you, you do have to have a certain breadth of products and services so that if one area doesn't go the way you expect, your business isn't solely dependent, uh, solely dependent on that one piece. Yeah, we, we are headed in, in that direction, but I think we're probably an example of maniacal focus. I mean, we've just started expanding to new product lines in the last year, and it's been been a long ride, but we feel like that gave us the foundation to say, hey, we, we, we've got a pretty good core. We know what we're doing. It's now time to, to expand. But I think many many of our peers went to four, five, six products within two or three years. And we kind of said, no, no, we're going to we're gonna get this one right. And we're going to learn a lot from it. And then it's a question of like, okay, now where else do I go? Because those technologies are, are certainly applicable other places. Right. No, I was, I was going to share. Uh, there's a concept that I, I heard Kathy Wood talk about. She runs the art right. funds. And she talks about an S-curve. And so every product has, goes up this S-curve. 
And there's a point that a product matures and uh, you, need to, you need to have the next product available. I think this happens with the iPhone 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right all the way to 13 now, right? Each of those has an S-curve. And I think what Upstart is doing is really smart because as you're moving up that S-curve, you want to get enough momentum before you're working on your next thing. And if you do it too early, then you're hurting the current product and the current momentum as well. So that S-curve and how you go, there again, more art than science to that, I believe, yeah. and, and a lot of executive judgment and really knowing the marketplace and knowing the, the capability and capacity of your team. Yeah, I agree with the more art than science because it certainly is a topic that we spend a lot of time agonizing over. Uh, are we... Are we hurting ourselves by not being in more areas more quickly? Are we detracting from the, the growth of the core product that's that's succeeding by being too aggressive in other areas? And like, you're probably kind of like, I always describe my ideal job as like one where you feel kind of capable, but not quite ready. And, you know, when, when you're not quite sure if you're too far one way or the other, you feel like you're kind of teeter-tottering. That's probably somewhere close to, <laughs> to the right edge in this kind of decision. But it's tough because every every quarter we have to have that debate about how much are we investing in new stuff versus improving in the core. And it's it is not I wish there was like a clean cut. Do you know, here's the Excel formula, put in these 10 pieces of information and you'll have the right decision. But it's uh, it's a lot of judgment and, and discussion and a lot of, frankly, you know, questioning of your call at the end of the day going, did we do that one right? Yeah. I don't know. Because there's no, no yeah. clear cut answer. Yeah. If, if success was easy, everyone would do it. That's, it's, that's right. There's a that's reason right. there's so few companies that can go figure this out. There's, I think there's several fi thousand fintechs out there, but you can see the maybe 20, 30 that are starting to rise to the top. Mm. And mm. Uh, it's not easy. Everyone is trying, but... Uh, and, and, and again, I think the ones that make it have outstanding leadership teams. I, that's, this, that's something I've noticed, too. I, uh, with all these fintechs, I really like to understand who's the CEO, what's the leadership team, you know, what's the plan look like? Because th that leadership team, I've noticed, is separating uh, the cream of the crop from the others. Yeah, it's, it's probably with so much judgment involved in how you do these things, you, you got to have sound. And, and sometimes I think the fortitude to stay the course when the market or investors or the press feels like, hey, you should be doing more and more quickly. And you go, mm, no, we're going to stick to our knitting and, and do the core or whatever that kind of debate is. You've got to, it takes a little bit of self-confidence and probably experience to be able to kind of, you I know, agree. to stick to your guns and, and make the call you think is right. Absolutely, Jeff. So one other area I want to talk about that you had mentioned was this kind of I, maybe I'll call it a shift in distribution or how consumers interact with where they expect to get loans and, and, and interact with that experience. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, it used to be, I think people came to the branch and said, hey, I, I, how can I get a loan? What can I, what can I qualify for? And I think you see a shift in that that I'd like to explore a little bit. Yes, significant shift. You know, many years ago, consumer wants to buy a car. They would go to their local credit union, their bank and say, how much can I afford? Mm -hmm. I, I want to get pre-approved for a loan. And then they would go look for their car. Uh, all that has changed completely. And now, uh, when you want to go buy a car, it's almost every single time you're starting on Auto Trader or you're going online, you're looking at cars. You go find the car you want, and then the finance. Then you go to the finance office, and they're telling you your options. So the the financing for vehicles is, has gone to point of sale. I'm seeing mm -hmm. this. That trend has now moved almost to every other segment as well. You want to go buy some furniture, you go buy furniture, and then there's a buy now, pay later option. Uh, you're seeing mm -hmm. buy now, pay, day buy now uh, pay later options. I think a firm started with Peloton. Now they've moved everywhere. 
I think Square mm-hmm. bought a buy now, pay later uh, option. Yeah, so yeah. I think financing is starting to move to point of sale, which, which is the consumer starts shopping first before they even think about needing to finance it. They say, I need a car, I need furniture, well, I need this. They go start shopping. And then as they're shopping, then they start thinking about financing. So I think financing options are also starting to be embedded in point of sale, especially the more things go digital. And so there is that that big shift. And I think it's also happening uh, in, in the mortgage world. It's a little different. I think that is such a big purchase that people do tend to think about financing around the same time to thinking, I'd like to buy a house. You know, how much money do I need? They may consult someone first before buying a house, but definitely on the smaller purchases, it is they're thinking about that financing or that option at point of sale. Yeah, they're thinking about it after they figured out what they want. What do you as a credit union do in response to that shift? I mean, people aren't coming to you now for a loan in advance. They're, they're going to the, going to the merchant, going to the car dealership, maybe maybe going to Redfin or Zillow to to find a house that's in the area versus coming to the to see you to say, hey, what what could I qualify for? How do you react to that as a credit union? What do you what do you do? Yeah, so this has been a. This has been a big challenge, and we've had a lot of intense conversations about this, especially as buy now, pay later took off, because this is going to affect how people use their debit and credit cards. Maybe they were going to plan on putting it. Maybe they were, as they were going to check out, they were like, okay, I'm going to use my credit card on this. And then they go check out and they see, oh, I can do a buy now, pay later through PayPal or through a firm uh, or through Square, whatever that may be. So couple things our team has done. We've been dealing with this on the cons- on the vehicle lending side for a long time. So we we have great relationships with the dealers and we that has been I think that's been in the marketplace for a long time. On the personal loan side or someone goes and buys smaller purchases, what we are thinking about doing is offering uh, 0% for 6 months on all purchases all the time. So that is uh, so on every purchase you make uh, from the time you purchase it, you have uh, six months of no interest because we're trying to figure out how do you combat buy now, pay later. So someone has has a credit or debit credit card in their hand from First Smart Credit Union and they go to check out and they're enticed with a firm or uh, PayPal. And we need to have a product. Now, we are clients of PSCU as well, which is a uh, which is a payments company that serves about 1,500 credits in the United States. And we've had a lot of conversations about this as well, about should PSCU help credit unions to embed a buy now, pay later option very similar to a firm. But I think our way to combat that is the 0% uh, for six months on purchases all the time. The other thing I'm not sure about, Jeff, is, is buy now, pay later a fad? You know, are people going to default more as time goes on? I, I know there's been, from what I've read, there's been already significant amount of defaults, but I think it's not because people can't pay. They don't know how to pay. It's kind of confusing. You know, they may have buy now, pay later through a firm on one site, then through another company on another site, and they're just like losing track of who to pay. And so 
You know, and and buy now, pay later as well. So, you know, it's it's an Amazon, but obviously it doesn't make sense to do buy now, pay later, maybe on a $100 purchase. Maybe if you go do a $1,000. Yeah, I saw, I saw it on a pizza delivery and I went, I, right. I don't know that you need to be right. splitting up right. your pizza delivery into four. Yeah. Maybe just wait till you get the money to buy the pizza. It seems a little excessive to have buy now, pay later on my Domino's. Yeah, so, so these are the things that I'm not sure about. And I also think that a lot of the buy now, pay later financing options don't show up on your credit report. So you may not be sure the debt you're incurring as well. So this is the piece that I'm really unsure about. I'm a little, I'm I'm unsure about buy now, pay later, if it's a fad or if it's really going to stick. I'm not sure yet. It'll be interesting. The other thing, I'm not sure if you've explored this yet, but how a lot of those companies finance their 0% right is by above traditional even credit card fees from the merchant, right? The credit card is usually two and a half to 3% debit card, you know, much lower. And then the, some of these firms are making five, 6%. Uh, and I guess the, the, the commerce companies, the merchants are doing that for increased pull through rate, increased cart size, right? They're able to increase their transaction sizes, increase their conversion rate, which feels like something, you know, like it will be hard. I would think for you to compete economically with a 0% unless you can also access some of the economics that the merchants are willing to pay because they're they're making more sales on that. So I'm curious, have you explored with your payments company or somebody else the idea of like, hey, we can do this on a credit card with zero percent for six months or whatever, but you know, to finance that, we really need to be getting at least some version of the economics that the buy now pay later companies are getting from the merchants that are funding that. Like, you can't give money away for free. Money has a cost, right? So to put zero percent interest, you got to have the revenue, and that that feels like the piece to me that's got to get connected before you've got different payment options that really make. That's sense. right, and and every time someone uses our credit card, Jeff. They go swipe our card. We get a few percent uh, interchange income. It's called interchange income. We get it from Visa. So for us, we're foregoing the interest to get swipes. And you're exactly right. Um, The other thing, too, is I think that most consumers don't pay off their bills within six months. So at that point, you know, it may be zero percent interest for six months, but there are purchases at some point that they'll end up paying ten percent for. Let's say that's our, our the rate on our card. But uh, I think for us, it, it's it's kind of a lesser of two evils. With buy now, pay later, it's you don't want people to stop using your card because every time yeah. someone swipes our card, we make income, and if they're using our debit card, we're making income, and it's coming from a checking account, which is that. Glue. That's the core account of a of a, of our organization and of our consumer relationship. So for us, it's it's uh, it is making some very difficult changes. Banking is just changing so much, Jeff. And I'll tell you, it's it's a scary it's a scary and an exciting time to be in banking because it's being completely disrupted. Yeah, I guess it's an exciting time if you like the disruption and if you if you want things to stay the same. Well, this isn't the space for you. Yes. And, and it is, I'll, you know, again, candidly speaking, I've told this to our team, it's, it's scary. And I think Jamie Dimon said the same thing, that we should all be scared. And he used a different choice of words about, about fintechs because they are chipping away at our business and we are having to transform. And I think a lot of organizations won't be in business five, 10 years from now. But I think there's the organizations that are transforming. I think they'll have a, a good shot. I think that's right. I think the same is true of fintechs, frankly. Like, I mean, to your point, there are thousands of fintechs. And if I had to make a guess in 10 years, will those still be thousands? Like, no, there'll be those who 
are actually adding value to consumers and actually uh, figuring out how to, how to provide valuable products. And there'll be those who don't. And I think the same is true of credit unions and banks. It's like so, some will adapt and actually continue adding value in the, the way consumers want in the modern world, and, and they'll thrive. Uh, and frankly, I think it's an exciting opportunity for an organization like yours because you you have the ability to bunch above your weight class in some mm-hmm. ways, whereas before there was a real capital restriction to growth in terms of like branches and yeah. physical footprint. And you just it was limiting. And in a digital world, you know, there are ways to grow and, and kind of play in a larger space without without as much capital intensive if you can really provide the, the right experiences. So it's a I think it's an exciting time for the organizations that are that are ready for that challenge. But it's it's a very different model. And, and what will what will drive winning winners and losers is not what it, what it used to be. I agree, Jeff. I agree. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a fine balance of, uh, of that digital and that interactional, that relationship aspect right. of the business, uh, because you're exactly right. You can almost uh, punch in a higher class. And at the same time, we'll never outspend what Chase is going to spend on digital. Yeah. And so I, I think it's figuring out, okay, we can now offer a lot of the same digital tools. We can partner with fintechs. And then how at the same time do we keep community relationships? How do we continue to do good and have boots on the ground and give back to the community so the community still sees the difference that we're still a community partner? And I think finding that balance is is also very important. Yeah, and probably kind of like the... Uh stick into one thing or doing multiple. It's as much art as it is science. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe the team might name the podcast that as much art as science. Well, was there anything you you wanted to talk about or expected to cover that we didn't get to today? Well, just one thing, uh, Jeff, and, you know, I, there was, uh, you know, I was thinking about this whole notion of, you know, as you go more and more digital, how do you keep loyalty to your members? I think about that a lot. And, or to your customers. And, and I noticed Lemonade doing this too. They, a part of the the fees that they're charging goes back to donations to giving back to the community, right? To doing good. It, it's a philanthropic arm. And I've noticed that as well, that consumers want to do business with organizations that are going to make the world a better place. And it was something that's really interesting is we, we created a new account. It's called Power the Dollar. And it's a checking account, and there's the power of the dollar, which is $1 service. Uh, we call it an impact fee a month. The other one is $3 a month, a dollar going to the, and a dollar goes to our foundation. And then that foundation gives back to the community and does projects in the community. It helps school, it builds gyms, it sends kids to college, it does all these things. So, uh, you know, I think this notion of also doing good and making the world a better place is something that's very important to also, in, in addition to, as you go digital, yes, you have to have the right balance of bricks and clicks. I also think it's also important to have an aspect of your business that's making the world a better place. No, I, I agree. Consumers are increasingly voting with their dollars in terms of working with organizations that they feel like are, I mean, we see this so much in the, the tech lash, uh, and you know the move away from some of the big brands to say, hey, I, I want to work with you know local businesses that are supporting local jobs or companies that share my values and are trying to to, to turn the make the world a better place through their business models. Right. I always think it's I love foundations for businesses, but I also sometimes look at companies that go, well, your core business isn't set up to do good for the world, and then you're kind of like paying your penance with some donations. And I think it's important to have both, right? Really giving back, but setting your business up so that you're succeeding when your customers are succeeding. 
right? You're succeeding when you're making your community better and, and not making those two things in opposition. Because ultimately, I mean, we live in a capitalist society. So if the business models are set up so that you can succeed when you're work, making the world a better place, uh, and then you can contribute as well, I think that's the most powerful combination you can get. That's an excellent point, Jeff. Yes, your business needs to align about making the place, yeah. the world a better place, not just your philanthropic arm. That's an excellent sure, point. You can't, you can't be extractive and then go, oh, well, you know, well, you know go, yeah. go pay my penance and put some dollars, but forgive me for my, my sense. Yeah. It's, it's important to get both. I like yeah. that. It's a Absolutely. Good closing thought. So I, I have three questions I always end the podcast with, Daniel. So I'm going to throw them out there for you now. You're probably ready for these. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever gotten? Best piece of advice I've ever received is it's okay to fail. Own up to it. Learn from it. Don't make the same mistake twice. Uh, in terms of failures as well, uh, don't make catastrophic failures in life that you can't recover from. Just don't make the catastrophic ones. Ever, uh, the rest of them are okay, but the big <laughs> ones are avoid. Yes. All right. It's okay to fail. What's the best piece yes. of advice you've gotten about, you know, consumer finance or consumer lending? Understand a person's story. Understand a person's story. Yeah, well, understand what is their story. And rather than just looking at a credit score or collateral, understand a person's story, where they're at in their life and how you can help them. And you may be you may have to tell them no now, but give them hope. Tell them here's the plan. Here's how we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna follow up in six months, and we're going to get you the car you want, the credit card you want. Here's the path. And so it's about understanding a person's story and giving people uh, a plan and give people hope. Help them write the next chapter of that story. Exactly. Sounds like you went through your certified financial coaching training yourself. <laughs> Not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. You got you got to get on that. It sounds pretty good. And then my last question, what's a bold prediction? We've had a couple of relatively bold predictions, but what's a bold prediction for the future? I think credit scoring is dead uh, in terms of consumer lending specifically. I think five to 10 years, from, I'd say 10 years from now, uh, we'll have half the credit unions and banks in the country that will still be in business. I think there's about 5,000 banks in the country, 5,000 credit unions I'm rounding here. Yeah. And so ten, let's say 10,000 financial institutions. I bet there'll be half in 10 years. All right, ha half the financial institutions in 10 years. That, that is a bold prediction. I, I mean, I was shocked to find out how many there were, frankly, coming from tech. And then I was shocked to look back and go, in 1970, how many were there? And like, Oh, right. It was a lot more. I mean, 10,000 sounds yes. like a lot, but there were 20 or 30,000 uh, financial institutions right. back then. And, and I, so yeah, I think that trend line, you're probably, probably not a crazy prediction that that one's going to continue. Exactly. Well, Nathaniel, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I really appreciate your making the time and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Jeff. You take care. See you soon. Thanks. All right, bye. Upstart partners with banks and credit unions to help grow their consumer loan portfolios and deliver a modern all digital lending experience. As the average consumer becomes more digitally savvy, it only makes sense that their bank does too. Upstart's AI lending platform uses sophisticated machine learning models to more accurately identify risk and approve more applicants than traditional credit models, with fraud rates near zero. Upstart's all-digital experience reduces manual processing for banks and offers a simple and convenient experience for consumers. Whether you're looking to grow and enhance your existing personal and auto lending programs, or you're just getting started, Upstart can help. Upstart offers an end-to-end -end solution that can help you find more creditworthy borrowers within your risk profile with all digital underwriting, onboarding, loan closing, and servicing. It's all possible with Upstart in your corner. Learn more about finding new borrowers, enhancing your credit decisioning process, and growing your business by visiting upstart.com slash four dash banks. That's upstart.com slash four dash banks.
You've been listening to Leaders in Lending from Upstart. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe to Leaders in Lending in your favorite podcast player. Using Apple Podcasts, leave us a quick rating by tapping the number of stars you think the show deserves. Thanks for listening. Until next time. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests on the Leaders in Lending podcast are their own, and their participation in this podcast does not imply an endorsement of such views by their organization or themselves. The content provided is for informational purposes only, and the discussion between the host and guests should not be taken as financial advice by companies or individuals.